we doing? Good. I told you I was going to get different walk-up music. So that's good stuff. Um, hold on. I'm wrestling with technology. Okay. So good. Ah, I'm so excited. Uh, this is the first Sunday of the new year, and we're starting a brand new series. And it's going to be a series of series about the same thing. Uh, basically, we're going to be talking about Jesus for all this whole year. And, uh, and so we're just going to spend 52 weeks or so in the uh, Gospels just looking at what, who Jesus was, what it means to be a follower of his, um, um, all the different ways that Jesus is the way, uh, just, just all about Jesus. And I'm really excited to just kind of sit in that spot for... Now, there's a lot. Like, I, at first, I was, I was considering just picking one of the Gospels and preaching straight through that Gospel. But as you guys, if you guys were here many years ago, I, I did that with the Gospel of Mark, and it was literally a year-and-a-half-long series. And, uh, and so I was like, a year's enough. And so, so I'm just going to bounce around all over all four Gospels, and, and, and we're going to do that. So as we kind of dive into uh, the kind of the question of who Jesus is and who he was, um, it's re- it, this is one of those things that one of those questions that still fascinates people all over the world, uh, trying to figure out what, what is the deal with Jesus. If you watch, uh, you know, especially around Christmas and around Easter, you go to the History Channel or, or one of those other you know, channels where they'll do all these different documentaries about Jesus and, and uh, you know, was he really God and all this kind of stuff. So this is what we, we know for sure. Jesus was an actual guy who actually existed. That's, there's no historical question about that. There's no question about the existence of Jesus. It's not, it's not a controversial to, for you to say, I believe Jesus Christ was a man who existed 2,000 years ago. No controversy in that at all. He is a historical figure, right? Okay. So that said, <clears throat> with this historical man who existed 2,000 years ago, well, who was he? And really for us as Christians, the big question is, was he God? Was he God or was he just some dude, right? Was he God? Is he God? That's the big question for us to answer today. And so now there'll be a lot, of, you'll hear a lot of people tell you, especially in some of those documentaries that, well, the Bible actually never claims that Jesus was God. You know, that that's something that, that people have kind of interjected into the word uh, or into their in translation or interpretations of the word. The Bible never really says that Jesus was God. And we're going we're to look at that claim today and, and see what the Bible actually says about the fact of, of, of Jesus being God or not. And so I, f- I felt like one of the best places for us to start this whole series would be with John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is uh, kind of hands down one of the greatest passages in the Bible. I mean, it is... So you have all these different New Testament writers. You have four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Um, a couple of those were actual disciples of Jesus. A couple of those were, um, you know, uh, kind of followers of his, but not actual, actual one of the 12, that sort of thing. And so um, Luke's gospel, as some of you are reading the Luke and Acts study, you know, on version that we're all reading together. And, and uh, as you know, that, you know, Luke's gospel was put together by eyewitness accounts. Luke was kind of a journalist. And so they come out from all different kind of angles. But the thing that's so special about John's gospel is this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in content. In fact, scholars call them the synoptic gospels because they're so similar in content. John's tells a lot of different stories and a lot of different, like, 
kind of one-on-one conversations that Jesus had with people. It's just it's a whole different account. Uh, and 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 the thing is, is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written say about some, somewhere in the 60s. Now, we're not talking the 1960s. We're talking just the 60s, right? Just nothing before that, just the 60s, right? And so in the 60s, uh, not, you know, not the hippie 60s, just the 60s, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, somewhere around that time frame, they, they pin their gospels. They, they, they get, those start being circulated around the churches around the world at that point. John was the, <coughs> excuse me, the last of the 12 apostles to die. And he lived to, to a ripe old age. He was in his 90s uh, when he died. And in the 90s, again, not the, you know, I'll be there for you friends 90s, but just the 90s. In the 90s, John writes his gospel. And I get the sense that when John writes his, it's, it's, it's almost as if he, you know, he's a part of church. And he knows the, the documents that are being read and the gospels that are being read, the stories that are being told. But here's John. John one, you know, John is the beloved disciple, right? And one of Jesus' closest disciples. And, uh, and, I, and I have a feeling, you know, he's in his 90s, he knows his life is short, and he's looking at these accounts and, and probably thinking, there's still a lot more that needs to be said and a lot more that needs to be told. And I need to tell some stories that haven't been told and some, some teachings that haven't, you know, been as widely circulated or at least written down or whatever. And so, so John pens his gospel. Now, the thing I love about John, John wrote the gospel of John, he wrote First, second, and third John, these, these letters to churches that he kind of supervised over. And, and then he also wrote the book of Revelation. And the thing I love about John's writings so much is that while, say, if you go to the writings of Paul, they're very theological, uh, very passionate, because he's just a passionate type of guy. <coughs> John, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> John is this guy who he's a poet at heart, and the way he writes is like it's, it's like poetry. So he uses a lot, like, like in this passage we're getting ready to read in John chapter 1, he refers to Jesus as the Word, as the Word. And we're going to get into why he does that here in just a second. But he, he talks a lot about light and dark and, and just these kind of uh, more uh, almost like esoteric type of ways of looking at life, you know. And so he's, he's, he's a poet at heart and that really comes out in his writing. And I mean, you look at the book of Revelation, that's just... That's just a whole big mess. It's like he just hit auto, you know, what's the button you hit on your phone when you're texting? It's just dot, 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 dot. It's just poetry, 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 poetry. You know, just, just filling in all these words. It's like, oh, dragons and bowls and you know, just all this symbolic stuff, you know? I mean, he's just got that mind and that heart to write that way. And so he starts off his gospel talking about in the beginning was the word. That's the first phrase. So let's look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, starting with verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Now, I want to stop right there and just say that uh, he did not choose those words by accident. Uh, where else have we, what, what, uh, what other passage of Scripture does your mind conjure up when you hear in the beginning? Genesis 1, right? So John starts off his, uh, his story of Jesus with the same words that all of Scripture start off with. In the beginning, and that's not an accident. He wants people to know, in fact, he says it pretty explicitly here in just a second, that Jesus has been there since the very beginning. And so he says this, in the beginning was the word. Now, okay, this is one of those those paragraphs as we read this, just soak this in. This is, it doesn't get much more uh, just literarily beautiful than this right here. In the beginning was the word. 
And the Word was with God. And the Word, say that with me, was God. All right? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was there at creation is what John's saying. In him, because we get the, a lot of times, especially if you watch a lot of these, um, like I said, these kind of documentary type shows that where they bring in all these scholars from different walks of life, and, and you get the sense that the Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible, and the New Testament is the Christian Bible, as if they're kind of two separate documents. But John kind of spells it out pretty clearly that the whole thing, it's been about Jesus since the beginning. It's always been about Jesus, always. So, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, I, I, just, I just finished watching all the, I, I, it's, it's one of those things you do during Christmas break, but I just finished watching all of the Lord of the Rings and all of the Hobbits, the extended issues. So it's like 21 hours of Lord of the Rings stuff, right? This feels like that. It feels like a Lord, of, like a Middle Earth prophecy, doesn't it? Just light and dark and, and, you know, the darkness has not overcome it and all this and, and Frodo. And so anyway, like, I, I, I love the, just the, the way he just kind of puts this out there. It's, it's, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. That, that, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Does anybody else ever feel like the light in this world just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and the darkness might just win? And I love a passage like this that reminds us that the darkness will never overcome the light. Never, ever overcome the light. That's, that's an awesome, awesome thing to me. So, in the beginning was the Word. Now, as we read passages about the Word of God in the Bible, oftentimes Bible writers refer to the Word of God. And because I, I'm constantly like picking apart Scripture, like trying to figure out like what are they thinking? What are they meaning when they wrote this and that sort of thing? And one of the questions I've often asked myself over the years is, is that like, like when we think of the Word of God, what do we think of? The Bible, right? So like if, we're, if I'm going to get into the Word of God, read the Word of God, whatever, I'm thinking the Bible. So when somebody who was writing the Bible, before there was a Bible, the writer of the Bible, when he refers to the Word of God, what's he thinking about? Like what's he, what's, what is it that he's thinking about when, he, when he's talking about the Word of God? And I was studying that uh, several weeks ago and, and uh, I came across this little bit of information I just thought was absolutely fascinating. That for... People in Bible times, uh, whether it was Old Testament or New Testament, when they spoke of the Word of God, how did God create all of creation? He spoke. He spoke. When, when, when people back in this time spoke about the Word of God, they weren't talking about a book, a book of pages with a cover or a scroll or anything like that. They weren't talking about something that was written. When, the, when people back then spoke about the Word of God, they were talking about what is God doing right now? What is he up to? And so that's the, that's the first point this morning, that God's word is God in action. It's how God is moving in history, and he's doing it all in Jesus. God's word is God in action. It's what he's up to. It's how he's moving in our lives and the lives of his people, how he's moving throughout human history. And the way God moves is through his son, Jesus Christ. It's always been about Jesus. It always will be about Jesus. Everything centers 
around him. And we're going to get into more why that is in just a second. But, but God's word is God in action, God moving amongst his people. So when we, I'd love it if we could kind of um, somehow incorporate that kind of biblical think, that biblical language into our, the way that we think to where we would, when we talk to each other, you know, it's, it's, we kind of do it with each other. Hey, what's the word? What are we saying when we say, hey, what's the word? What, what's going on? What's, what's happening? What have you been doing? That's kind of what we're, what's the word, right? What's the word of God in your life? How is God moving? Not, not what have you been reading? That's important. The reading is important. I think that's, that's kind of critical for us to get to know God and find out you know, as much as we can about him. But, but our faith is not just simply about reading a book. What a boring faith that would be if the whole faith was just about reading a book. Like, reading is fundamental, I know, but still, right? It's, it's so much more that, what the word, what's the word of God like in your life right now? How is God moving in your life? What's he doing around you? Where do you see him moving? What do you see him up to? And we always center what God is doing around the person of Jesus Christ. What is Jesus up to in your life and in your family and in your church and in your community? What's God doing right now? That's the word of God. So when we talk about the word of God in that sense, I, I don't know, I love that language that the word of God is something so much bigger than just a book. I would say it certainly includes that book, but it's also how is God moving among us? I love that, love it so much. So let's go on, verse six of this chapter. John continues and he says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. John was Jesus' cousin and, uh, and John had become known as one of the greatest prophets that Israel had seen in hundreds of years, hundreds of years. And I mean, he was developing quite a following. I mean, thousands of people. In fact, one passage, one of the gospels says that the entire country of Israel had come out to hear John. I don't know if, I'm sure that was a little hyperbole there, but, but still, a lot of people were following John and he was out in the wilderness doing his thing. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John came to to prepare the world for Jesus, who was getting ready to come on the scene, right? He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. I think it's so important that we remember that we are not the light. Like the light hopefully lives in us, and the light is near us at all times and, 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 and moving around us at all times, but we are not the light. We can't shine ourselves on this dark world. Nobody wants a big splash of Jeff to cure the world's ills, right? That's not, that, that's not going to help anybody. But however, what we can do is introduce people to the light. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not what? Overcome it. It will not overcome it. Let's go on. Verse 9. The true light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That's important to remember. I think a lot of times we lose sight of the fact that when Jesus came, like not everybody was like, hey, look, it's everybody, it's God. Like they didn't get it. They did not get it at all. They, I mean, Jesus was, it was initially recognized as, well, okay, here's another prophet. You know, kind of like John was a prophet. 
So there's just John and Jesus team of prophets out there, and wow, they're, these are the best prophets we've seen in hundreds of years. So they were embracing the idea of prophet. And then, then eventually people started to embrace. <laughs> sorry about that. Eventually, uh, Janine just uh, created a verse image for Matthew 18. So thank you, thanks, Janine. Glad you're. Glad you're so engaged in the sermon right now. <laughs> just teasing. I'm just teasing. That's great. If you're going to create verse images, now is a good time to do it. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> All right. So that's great. Um, uh, so I totally lost my friend. Oh, so Jesus, Jesus and John were, were these, you know, considered to be these prophets. And then eventually... Eventually, people began to ask about Jesus. Could, could this guy be the Messiah? They knew there was this Messiah that was going to come who was going to send Israel back to power and, and, and set things right and things like that. But could he be the Messiah? But in their minds, the Messiah was still just going to be some dude. It wasn't going to be God. The fact, I mean, these are the, I mean, go back. The, the, the central theme of the Jewish faith goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I mean, they were the one faith in all the world that would say there is one God, not a whole plethora of gods, right? There was one God. And so to, for somehow to add a Jesus to that one God equation, I mean, that was so far off their radar, so far off their radar. They weren't thinking in those terms at all, not thinking in terms of Jesus as God, but maybe he's a great prophet. Maybe he's even the Messiah. They were thinking that. The world did not know him, though. He came to his own, talking about the Jewish people. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is awesome. We were talking about this earlier when we were doing communion. That through Jesus Christ, what, it's no longer um, all these different groups, you know, Jews, Greeks, Americans, you know, uh, whatever, you know, the, the British, the Russians, the Africans, the whatever you want to go. There's no longer all, instead, what Jesus does is he unites the world into one family. And who all, to all who will believe in his name, it doesn't matter where you live, where you're born, how you started off in life, how much money your parents had or didn't have. None of that matters because to all who believe in his name, he's given you the right to become children of God. Children of God. Now, a lot of times when we think of, you know, adults versus children, we tend to think in terms of um, maturity versus immaturity, right? and, And not all of us like being called children. You know, some of us have worked very hard to not be looked at as children, Right? But when God refers to us as his children, it's not some sort of derogatory term. It's, it's in the same way for those of you who have children, you look at your kids and they're your, that, that's your beloved, right? I mean, that's, that's your heart. That's your, that's your heart. Is there anything, parents in the room, is there anything in the world you love more than your, than your own children? I mean, they can be knuckleheads, knuckleheads at times. Can they out-knucklehead your love, though? It, maybe, but it'd take a lot of knuckleheading, right? It'd take a whole lot. Of, I mean, it would take a lot because, I mean, I, my, my kids have done some doozies. So far, they haven't come, come close to pushing away my love, right? And that's God's idea of us as his children. It's like my most, my, my, my most valued, my most precious um, 
family, family. You know, we're launching our, uh, our growth groups this, this month. And one of the things I love about these groups that we're launching is that they really do a lot to cement this idea of family here at church. Like if you want to feel like this, maybe you've been coming here for a while. If you want to feel like this group of people, this congregation, this church is really and truly your family, get into a group. Get into a group. Like there's only so much family feeling you can get from here once a week staring at the back of somebody's head, right? Get, and I know the handshake time, the meet and greet, that's great. The little, you know, coffee and, and, and granola between services, that's great. But, I'm, but when you kind of week in, week out, beginning to, to get involved in the lives of a handful of other people in the church, and that, that group of people begins to encourage you and support you and you encourage them and support them and you celebrate with them and you mourn with them and you you walk through life with them and suddenly what was just this great hour of your week becomes something so much more meaningful it becomes family that God didn't you cannot miss this Jesus I want to make sure I say this right and I probably won't and so you can send me emails later Jesus didn't come to save you. Jesus came to establish a family. And there's a difference. Now, did he save you? Absolutely. But he didn't save you to be some sort of Lone Ranger Christian. He saved you from that Lone Ranger life that you're constantly wondering, is there more to this life? And he lifted you up and rescued you and placed you in a family a family. You cannot do the Christian faith without this family, without a church, without a sense of community. It just doesn't work. You can try. You can turn Christianity into some sort of self-help religion. If I just kind of read the word and follow it and, you know, show up once in a while and do some feel-good things once in a while, then my life will kind of turn better a little bit and you know, my kids will start obeying and my bank account will have money and my dog won't bark at me and, you know, just like whatever. But that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come just, and I know we, we, this, is, this is you right now mentally having to unpack about 30 or 40 years of bad theology that has told you over and over and over that Jesus came to save just you and all he wants is a personal relationship with you. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a personal relationship with God. I'm just saying that's not what this faith is all about. He has rescued you from sin and darkness and death and put you into a resurrection life in a community of other resurrected followers, a family, a family. And if you want to really begin to get a sense of Living Hope Church as a family, get in a group. It's a game changer. I'm not saying it's gonna, a group is going to solve every single one of your problems. I'm just saying that when those problems come, you got people to walk through life with you. And we do this thing together. We serve Christ together. 
We, we, we explore faith and we question truths and we doubt together and we celebrate together and we mourn together and we pray together and we have fun together and we do all these things. And all of that most easily and most commonly takes place in the context of a really good, beautiful group. So sign up. In the next week or two, we're rolling out signups. Get signed up. You'll see people walking around here in these t-shirts asking me about my growth group. These are the leaders of our groups. Find out who's leading groups. Get signed up in their groups. There's going to be kiosks over here uh, with computers that you can sign up for a group with and stuff like that. And there'll, there'll be more instructions to come. But get signed up this month for a group, all right? Family. He gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. All of us who are in this family, we're not there because of our birth, because of our status, because of anything. We're there just simply because of Jesus. Now, this next verse that I'm going to get into is where the whole passage begins to get really, it's like the climax of, of John's whole prologue here to his gospel. And it's just majestic and everything. Jamie right now, my wife Jamie, she is currently uh, in, the, uh, in the pit, in the, in the orchestra for uh, production of Beauty and the Beast in, in Fairfield right now. And uh, so she has just been going crazy practicing the score. And, and so I, I don't know, I wouldn't really wear this, you know, usually with an orchestra, you have several, you know, of each instrument playing. But with a pit orchestra that plays for a show, it's a, it's a smaller, more confined area. And so usually it's like one of each instrument. So Jamie's kind of, she, she plays French horn. She's kind of all on her own. You know, she's the French horn, right? And so, so anyway, but as, as she was practicing this music, she was telling me this the other, uh, a few weeks ago, and I didn't quite get what she was talking about because that's the way I listen. By the way, 23 years yesterday, been married 23 years. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. So anyway, so anyway, she, she was telling me this story, and I wasn't quite getting it until uh, I saw it on, on paper. So if you guys are Disney fans and you know the Beauty and the Beast musical and that sort of thing, you know at the end where the beast turns into a man. Spoiler alert, he turns into a man. And so where the beast turns into a man, the, the mu- it's, it's the musical climax of the whole movie. And especially for the French horn, it really goes. And I mean, it's da, 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 da. You know, just the big, big, huge score right there at that one point, right? And so the, the, the instructions in the, in the music are, are play majestically, and, th- and this is literally what was on the sheet music. This is not something Jamie added. This is in the official Beauty and the Beast score. Put that up there. We're going to play majestically, you know, as if Jesus was here. <laughs> That's it. Jesus, it's like this is the Jesus moment. So even, even the non-Christians in the world, maybe non-Christians, I don't know if they were Christians or not, but people in the world that doing regular normal things like how can we make this the biggest, what's the biggest thing? Jesus! Jesus is here. Jesus, play like Jesus just came back, right? That's it, right? And so this is kind of where we are in the prologue of John's gospel. This is the big, it's all been Jesus, but this is the big Jesus moment right here. Ready? So he says this, verse 14, and the word <coughs> became flesh. God became flesh. He put on the skin of a man and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. He's been there since the beginning, right? Now here we go. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. 
the free gift of God of salvation for our sins, of rescue from the darkness, that is grace. And it just keeps coming and wave after wave, just grace keeps coming at us. Just when you think you're in short supply and you feel like the darkness is going to come, God sends you another wave of grace. Just when you think you've outsinned him and he could never forgive you, he sends you another wave of grace, just grace after grace after grace. For the law was given through Moses. As you guys know from what we've studied this last fall, the law was and is completely weak to really help us out of the darkness and out of our sin situation. All the law does is shine a light on the sin. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Here's the law. Now you know. That's all the law does. The law is completely ineffective to save you or change you or give you a family. Completely ineffective. For the law was given through Moses. But get this, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. He used that phrase earlier in, in, in the paragraph there. Grace and truth. This idea of, of forgiveness, of redemption, and this sense of truth. As you've walked through your, your life, no matter how you, you, you old you are, at certain points in your life, you, you have these kind of aha moments about life in general. Like suddenly something that either you were ignorant about or that just didn't make sense before, suddenly it gets revealed to you in a different way. It's like, oh, that's how life works. That's how maybe God's word works. That's how this faith works. That's how, you know, it's like secrets of life being revealed to you. I went with Isaiah to, to help him uh, buy a car yesterday, and I was, I was pointing out as we went through the process, I was pointing out all the, all the dealer tricks and stuff like that, and it's the light in his eyes was just, oh, oh, oh okay. You know, it was just, just like, like, oh, I didn't realize that was going on. And yeah, and so anyway, but we have these moments, these, these, these kind of, these benchmarks where it's like the light gets greater in our eyes. Our, our, the way we look at the world changes. We see the truth for the first time. And nobody can make you see the truth about yourself and about the lives that we live. Nobody can do it like Jesus. Like that's so much of following Jesus is just learning, like taking the scales off of our eyes and learning what reality really is and having Jesus reveal that to us. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now get this part. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. Now, this I think is a throwback to a story of Moses in the Old Testament where Moses would go up on the mountain to visit with God. But even Moses, even God's man Moses, wasn't allowed to look upon God. In fact, I believe the way it describes it, it was kind of, he was allowed to see God's hindquarter. In some, some way, I don't know what that means. But, but he was allowed to kind of see the backside of God in some way. But he couldn't, even Moses wasn't allowed to look upon the face of God. And, and just seeing the backside of God, Moses would come down from the mountain, just change. Like he just looked different. Like he had been in um, and amongst God, and that glory like rubbed off on him to where his face shone. Just it just it when you get around God, it changes you. But 
But even Moses wasn't allowed to see God. And John reminds us here that no one has ever seen God. And then he says this, the only God who is at the Father's side, in other words, Jesus, the only God, he has made him known. To where when Jesus says words later that we'll probably look at at other points during the year, when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. What's Jesus saying? I am God. Nobody's been allowed. This is God in Jesus Christ finally kind of removing the veil so that the world can see him in the face that he shows the world of himself is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So it's really critical that you get this one point. This is the big point of the whole day, and it's so simple. I think you'll be able to remember it. It's just this, that the Bible is clear. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. When we talk about worshiping Jesus, we're not just talking about worshiping some guy who was a good teacher, some guy who told us to to love each other a little bit better. All that's well and good and, and, and true and everything else, but but it's so much more when we talk about, like, here's the thing that you have to get in your mind. Maybe if you're a little skeptical of the whole faith thing or whether or not Jesus is actually God, like you can embrace, okay, he was a good teacher and I can get behind some of the things he taught, but I don't know if I can get behind the fact that he was God. This is the thing. The Bible does not leave you that option. It doesn't leave you that option. So, the, so these, are, these are your options. Either Jesus is and was God, or he was a stark, raving lunatic. Like, normal, sane people don't go around accumulating followers telling them that they're God. That's not normal behavior. And so that's the options that the Bible gives you. He's either God, or he's mad. you got to figure out which one you believe. You can't just say, like, you don't get to look at a, a, a madman and go, well, I don't, you know, he's a little crazy with the whole God thing, but man, he was a good teacher. No, no, you, most people don't follow madmen. He's either God, he's either exactly who the Bible says he is, or the dude's crazy and you're following a crazy guy. And I want you to come to grips with that question. That's the choices that the Bible leaves you. But the Bible itself is very clear. It states, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. We've never seen God. No one's ever seen God. But this, but the only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known to us. And he's done it through himself. So this is where we're going this year. We're going to unpack what it looks like to follow the man who was God. And that's tricky. Because it's not only just trying to make sense of following the man who was God, it's also trying to make sense of how do we do it 2,000 years later in, in the internet age and in the age of all the garbage that's happening in the world around us. And how do, how do we make sense of that in this age What's it look like to follow him? Is Jesus, Jesus was the way, is he still the way? Or is it outdated? So that's how we're going to dive into this. 
but make no mistake about it. That God is moving in history and amongst his people, and he does it through the person of Jesus Christ, and that person, Jesus Christ, is God himself. God himself. All right? Let's pray. Let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray from Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for uh, your words that come to us from our Bibles this morning. And we also thank you for your word, for Jesus, for the way that you move amongst us in him and then through his spirit and everything else. God, we just thank you that you're not some God who started things off and then checked out and left us to figure it out ourselves. But God, you still move amongst us and you're still active and you're still guiding and you still have a plan that you're executing to set all things right. And um, you've included us in that plan. And, and so God, give us the strength and the courage and the faith to follow you more closely. Help us to look for you in the face of Jesus. Help us to feel you and follow you through the leadership of the spirit of Jesus that lives within us. And so we just give ourselves to you one more time. We thank you so much that you set all things right, that you did it, that you rescued us. You didn't just some recruit some, some guy that was as flawed and messed up as the rest of us are, but God, you came in the flesh yourself and you set all things right. And so we give you all the praise and all the glory this morning. And for those in the room that are looking for their lives to be set right, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself in Jesus to them. Whether today or over the next few weeks or whenever, God, just reveal yourself to them in more full ways to all of us. Make yourself known to us. Help us to see you when we look to Jesus. So we love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. We ask you to lead us and guide us the way you want us to go. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. I'm really excited about this series and, uh, and just diving into Jesus and who he is. There's something powerful. I know it's kind of a no-brainer statement to say in church. Something powerful about this guy, Jesus. And I think we need to get behind him. All right? I've spoken. <laughs> Let it be done. All right. All right. Everybody have a great week. Bring somebody with you next week, okay? Take care.